More smoking content than a Jamaican spliff. You're listening to Blunt Talk on Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, Renegade Nation. This is Everly Isby connecting the dots right here on Renegade Talk Radio. And uh, I'm going to do, I've been gone for a little bit. I've been, I took some time off. I needed a little reset. Uh, but And this show today is going to be a little different. I'm reporting to you only on one subject matter, a very important subject matter. Uh, and that is the ongoing saga of the Bundy standoff. Uh, this information has my blood boiling. Uh, just a little recap here real quick. You know, the Bundy Ranch standoff is one of the most high-profile land-use cases in modern Western history, pitting cattle ranchers, anti-government protesters, and militia members against the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM. The trials taking place now in Nevada are following the trials that took place in Oregon against Eamon Bundy, Ryan Bundy, and the other defendants who were acquitted found not guilty by the jury there, but agonizingly for them, not set free from Oregon's detention, but extradited to Southern Nevada over these months, and these, these people are still in detention, although convicted of nothing. What's wrong with that picture? Why were they not at least released on bail? pending upcoming trials? These people had no violent backgrounds. They've not convicted of anything. They've harmed nothing and no one. These people have been never convicted of anything before these incidents. In fact, they weren't even convicted of these incidents so far. In short, Renegade Nation, I can only surmise, without a doubt, that they are political prisoners, or more correctly, prisoners of war. The government's stance seems to be very clear in their own actions that anyone who disagrees with government policy Anyone who finds the government, be, the government to be taking unlawful or unreasonable actions and takes a righteous stand is a war criminal. That's absolutely obvious, isn't it, Renegade Nation? <laughs> so I'm going to give a quick, quick update on the uh, Nevada trials. The Oregon ones are done. Now we're in the Nevada trials, starting with the results of the first trial a couple of months back. And then I'm going to tell you about what this show is really all about in this special report. The first trial in Las Vegas was declared a mistrial by federal judge Navarro after jurors deadlocked in the case of six men accused of taking up arms against federal agents during the Bundy Ranch standoff in 2014. None of these defendants were the purported ringleaders, uh, purported, yeah, ringleaders, right, just minor players. Jurors told lawyers after court was dismissed that they never even came close to convicting four of the six defendants. Two of them uh, were convicted on a couple of minor charges. Uh, Moreover, though, the jurors did not find any of the six defendants guilty on the two main conspiracy charges that made up the core of the government's case, dealing a blow to federal prosecutors who have not won a clear victory against Bundy defendants in three separate trials. The six men were described by prosecutors as the least culpable of the 17 defendants charged with conspiracy, extortion, assault, and obstruction 
for helping rancher Cliven Bundy fend off a government roundup of his cattle in what became known as the Battle of Bunkerville. This first government trial in Nevada was supposed to serve as a strategic springboard for the prosecution. It was the first of three separate trials scheduled in the Bundy Ranch case. U.S. District Court Judge Gloria Navarro ruled that the four men the jury couldn't find anything to convict on, get this, will be retried. Can you believe that, Renegade Nation? The prosecution and the judge wasn't satisfied with the outcome of their own failure to present a convincing enough case in court, so they're going to give it another try. Let's retry them until we get the ruling we want. And these people, these, these defendants, are just languishing in prison this entire time, close to two years now, all told. And there's more trials coming. Yes, Renegade Nation, this is the American way, apparently. Also, Judge Navarro's decision will delay the planned start of the second trial, set to begin May 26th, which will feature Cliven Bundy, his sons, Eamon and Ryan Bundy, and two others described by prosecutors as the leaders of the standoff. And here's how the judge set things up in favor of the government's prosecution. Just a couple of examples for you, Renegade Nation. Listen to this. Judge Navarro would not allow the defense to argue about constitutional protections to the jury. Well, you know, that's for me, that's not a great surprise. I've talked about this before. You know, the courts are not under the Constitution because all courts are in the international jurisdiction of the sea, not the land jurisdiction where the law, the land, and the Constitution resides and where the people are. The Constitution is the contract with the federal that restricts the federal from becoming tyrannical. Unfortunately for us, political traitors had the states and counties incorporated with the federal corporation as franchises stealthily and fraudulently removing themselves from the land jurisdiction by uh, 1965, which completely eroded the vital checks and balances that would keep the federal from becoming the tyrannical monster it now is. And these cases, the Bundy cases, and the incidents surrounding what led to this situation, the Bundy cases being tried in these courts, are proof positive that it's true. Therefore, to all Americans listening, constitutional arguments are therefore invalid in their Admiralty Maritime Military Tribunal Courts. And the most important thing that you can do is do everything in your power to avoid, avoid going to, into any of these courts by all means because they are kangaroo courts that do not even follow their own rules of law. And your rights do not exist there. Ah, I say that over and over, but it's true, and a lot of people just can't wrap their heads around this. Our courts, we don't have our own courts. We have private, mostly foreign-owned corporate courts that have nothing to do with the rule of law. Okay, moving on here. Here's another ruling by Judge Navarro in the first trial. She also prevented the defense from calling a number of witnesses to testify into what happened in the run-up to the standoff, ruling they could only testify about what happened on the final day of the actual standoff. 
So I ask you, if the jury isn't informed as to what led up to the standoff, how can they fully comprehend the context of the whole story of what led the Bundys to make their stand against the egregious actions of the Federal Bureau of Land Management Agency? One thankful consolation in all of this is that the jury managed to see through the corporate government's shenanigans and found they could not convict four of the six defendants. Yay, jury! (laughs) Oh, there's one other development that's uh, surrounding the Bundy cases. Um, There is purportedly an investigation of the BLM's special agent in charge over the escalations that led to the Bundy standoff in 2014. But it's beyond about what this agent did uh, that led to the Bundy standoff. Uh, And I can't remember his whole name, but his last name is Love. Oh, very ironical. Agent Love has been involved in various BLM actions in various states as the special agent in charge. And his actions have led to multiple suicides of people who have been victim to the BLM's policies and procedures at the behest of Agent Love. There's a long list, actually, of sordid details surrounding Special Agent Love. The government is keeping it very hush-hush, not releasing Love's name. But investigators have been able to piece together solid clues that establish Love as the agent most probably under investigation. And if this investigation reveals the major abuses by this BLM agent in charge, it could undermine the state's case against the Bundy defendants in a very big way. I hope it does. I'm gonna take a quick break here. When I come back, I'm gonna inform you of the recent events at the detention facility in Pahrump, Nevada, where they're holding all the defendants in the Bunkerville Battle of 2014. And Renegade Nation, it will disgust you. But very important that you know. So stay tuned, Renegade Nation. This is Everly Isby, and I'll be right back. Are your freedoms being destroyed? Like free speech? Shut up! Then fucking stay here and be blunt about it. Shut up! Will you shut up? Be right back. This is the major part of this story, and I have to tell you, you know, I've just taken a vacation over the last week and a half. Um, I just needed to regroup time for myself, but this last Saturday, I uh, came across a, uh, a video live stream recording of a phone call made by Eamon Bundy from his solitary confinement cell to a woman named Kelly Stewart. Now, in this live-streamed conversation, Eamon described the actions taken against him by prison guards over many long hours and what I can only describe as not only inhuman abuse, but, and in Kelly's own words, abuse that most people would never condone being done to an animal. And I want to preface that this phone call from Eamon to Kelly Stewart, a supporter of the Bundy defendants and their cause, Uh, As she describes herself, she is a woman dedicated to the advocacy of human rights abuses, despite being a wife and a mother of four for 18 years. 
And I have to tell you, Renegade Nation, after hearing this phone live stream conversation, I jumped in my car and drove to Pahrump, Nevada to get the bigger picture. I interviewed Kelly at the Southern Nevada Detention Facility there in Pahrump, uh, outside, I should say. She, the supporters are gathering there now, um, and the ongoing developments. Unfortunately, my recording device had a malfunction. And uh, the great majority of my interview didn't record. Very frustrating on my part. So I'll recount from my own memory what Kelly and I talked about. Uh, Last week, Eamon was sleeping in a cell. Uh, I'm not sure which night it was. It was about 10 p.m. And apparently, at the Southern Nevada Detention Facility, there are certain rules and regulations that detainees need to follow. And one of them, apparently, is is that any clothing cannot drape off the side of a detainee's bunks. Eamon's shirt, while he was sleeping, was draping off his bunk. Uh, Prisoners often utilize, and this is what I I learned, is, is that prisoners often utilize a shirt or some other clothing. They bunch it up and use it as a pillow because, you know, they're not, they're not important enough to even be given a pillow. Uh, the guard noticed Eamon's shirt uh, as he was doing his uh, stroll down the hall and hanging over the side of his bed, and he entered his cell and woke Eamon up and confiscated his shirt in violation of the regulation. Now, Eamon said in the conversation that he didn't really care if he confiscated his shirt, although his two other shirts that he had uh in his possession were in the laundry. So he only had the one shirt and he wanted the shirt back because if he didn't have a shirt at morning call for breakfast, they would deny him breakfast. So he started to negotiate with the the guard to get his shirt back. And one thing led to another. And uh, Eamon was forced into the hallway where guards ankle shackled Eamon and handcuffed his hands behind his back, but not before putting his arms stretched outward and behind him. Now, if you think about this, put your arms behind your back and stretch your arms outward so that the back of your hands, your knuckles, are touching. That's how they handcuffed him. It's really painful. Uh, So that's how they handcuffed him, and then they proceeded to beat him for quite a while. Uh, sticking fingers in his ears and behind his ears. I'm sure it was very painful. Um, After a certain point, then they dragged him down a long hall and down a stairway. Uh, His ankle shackles were so tight, they were cutting into his skin and he was bleeding at the ankles. After being dragged down the hall and down the stairs, they arrived at a room that had a three-foot by three-foot brick shower stall. They released his ankle shackles, thankfully, to relieve his bleeding ankles, but not his handcuffs, which were so tight, his hands were swelling. Both of his shoulders, by this time, were also dislocated. They stuffed him into the small stall and shut him in. Renegade Nation, they left him there for 13 hours without food or water. All of this because Eamon needed his shirt back so that he could eat breakfast the next morning. Eamon described those 13 hours, and here's just a few minutes of Eamon's recorded phone call to Kelly Stewart. What they wanted from me is they they wanted nothing but but to 
for me to submit. They wanted my spirit. They wanted to tear. They want. That's all they want. Yeah. And so I spent. Because they're like, well, we'll take your handcuffs off if you'll just, if you'll just uh, strip and and. Uh, this call is from an inmate facility. And do what we tell you to. And. That's all they want, Kelly. I know. And it's no different than, I mean, I don't know, you know, but it seems no different to me than any other torture. I mean, when we think about tortures and torture chambers, they drag you in and they throw you in there and then they, they inflict physical pain on you to get you to, you know, do what they want you to do or admit to something that they want you to admit or... or deny something that they want you to deny, but it's all through force, and that's what I just experienced. And you, you are absolutely, anyway, they, you're absolutely a prisoner of war, Ammon. That's, there's, there's no other way around it. You are a prisoner of war. Well, it got, it got pretty, I don't know, I was quite a bit of pain, you know, in there, and, and I, I couldn't sleep. I, because I'd been up, you know, the day and then all through the night, about 30 hours, almost 30 hours, I think. Yeah, it's probably right around 30 hours since I'd been able to, you know, I was in there without sleep and then I, I had to, you know, I had to go to the bathroom and there's no place. So I just put that in the drain, but then I, you know, that was difficult. Right there in the three foot by three foot shower that they left you in for 13 hours is where you also had used the bathroom. Well, yeah, there's no other choice. I mean, I had to go to the bathroom twice, and and then I didn't want to use. I was there's no water, and of course they don't feed you. But there's a shower there. But the problem is, is if I turn the shower on, it's too small. I would have got wet, and I was already the temperature is already at the point, and probably because of you know, the shock of my body and stuff. I was already shivering and shaking. I didn't want to get wet because I felt that I would be really cold then. And anyway, so then they, they kept telling me that if, they don't, if I don't submit, that they're gonna escalate the force on me. I just kept telling them that, look, they don't have a right to do what they're doing. And they can't, you know, they don't have a right to torture me just because they are not willing to give them what they want. Okay. Okay, Renegade Nation, now get this. At around 12 noon the next day. Now remember, this all started around 10 p.m. the night before. So now it's 12 noon the next day. And a riot gear equipped SWAT team was dispatched into the prison, which Eamon said that he had never seen done before within the facility ever. This SWAT team released him from the shower stall. Now, (laughs) Renegade Nation, why would they actually dispatch an entire SWAT team to release an exhausted, wounded, tortured, and handcuffed man from a tiny cubicle after 13 hours? Eamon couldn't stand 
So they helped him to his feet and walked him to the hole where they stripped him naked, did a cavity search. A cavity search, Renegade Nation. What's the purpose of that? Except to express inhumanity? I guess so. Then they removed all of his clothing from the cell, left him naked and abused, and closed him in solitary confinement. Eamon's two dislocated shoulders, he actually had to pop them back into their sockets by himself. An extremely painful thing to do. That's no small feat. And Renegade Nation, I want to ask you, is this America? Apparently it is. And this is not an isolated special case either. The Bundys and their co-defendants in these illegal detainments without due process before conviction are not unusual cases. It can only be described as a prisoner of war situation. The government's stance is that anyone, anyone who stands against any policy of the state, good, bad, or indifferent, is an enemy of the state. This kind of treatment goes on all the time across America. In America, we have the largest prison population in the world. The great majority of them? From victimless crimes where no one was injured or killed, no property harmed, and yet they languish in prison, their lives torn apart. That's the state of affairs, Renegade Nation. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break here. Uh, When I come back, I'm going to tell you about the people who are responding to that phone call Eamon made from his cell. This is Everly Isby connecting the dots, and this is Renegade Talk Radio. I'll be right back. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Okay, I'm back. I just want to start with uh, Kelly Stewart, the advocate for the Bundys, along with many other supporters. Um, you know, after she live-streamed Eamon's phone call, she live-streamed it to the Bundys' Facebook page. And about 500 people happened to be listening in. And people are now on the move from various states over this past weekend and through this week to camp on the public land in front of the Southern Nevada Detention Center in Pahrump, Nevada, to show support for the detainees in this private corporate prison as a result of the stunning display of disregard for constitutional protections relating to the inmates. And when I arrived on Saturday there, um, there were quite a few pent tents already pitched in some trailers uh, and I finally met with Kelly and she told me that earlier that day they had taken a walk around the perimeter of the prison. It's quite a hike. Uh, they're camped across the street at the front but you go way down one way and around the side and then to the back. A very long walk. Um, but they wanted to go back there because that's where the windows of the prison are where the detainees inside could see them uh, in their support for the detainees in there to provide hope to them that people care. So there was, besides the, there, there, so there's this big, picture this, there's a huge chain link fence that surrounds this prison. Uh, but there was also an additional two foot high little fence structure 
outside the perimeter fencing, which they were informed they were not to cross. If they did, they would be trespassing. So um, there were, as they were doing this walk, there were prison guards scattered just behind the chain link fencing at various points, uh, just inside the chain link fence, watching these people walking around. So they engaged them, you know, the supporters engaged them in little conversations, you know, they were being respectful. But they were saying things like, you know, asking them to consciously think about the actions that they were participating in and maybe even consider finding a better job, even one better paying. I mean, these prison guards don't get paid all that much money. I don't know, $15 an hour, maybe less. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I've heard it's not very much. But at one point, as they were, you know, having these friendly, respectful conversations or you know, statements, one of the guards kind of smirked at one point and talked into his shoulder comm. And a few minutes later, about five or six police cars with sirens blazing came screaming towards the prison. Now, Kelly and her group, which were now way behind the prison, and it would be probably like a mile to run back to, because they were concerned for the people left behind in front of the prison, that maybe that's where the police cars were headed and they were gonna start arresting people, even though they'd been told it was public land. So they started running to get back to the other people. Um, and they knew that they had done nothing wrong, so they were just thinking about the other people. So they were running back to the camp, and um, in the camp, you know, there was also, these are just average people. They're just common, everyday good people and they, their children are there some of them brought some of their dogs and stuff it's just you know just good people but anyway uh, what turned out is that the police were told that the protesters had crossed the two-foot perimeter which they hadn't <laughs> and they the the you know kelly and her the other people with her you know they were live streaming to facebook as they were doing this walk so they had proof that they hadn't trespassed um, but the police were told that they needed to be arrested for trespassing by the guard so anyway the nye county sheriff sharon worley showed up and kelly and the group were able to talk to her uh, she called the police off and they left in their conversation with sheriff worley they asked if she had checked on Eamon and the other detainees, and she responded that one of her deputies had gone in, but she didn't have any details as of yet. They asked if she was going to view the prison's video feeds to confirm the incident, but she replied that that had not been done, that she had not asked uh, to see those videos, the hallway cams. So I'm going to take you now to um, part of the interview that I was able to salvage, uh, what was left of my interview with Kelly. Um, and I do want to send my apologies out to Kelly Stewart uh, that I I've had this malfunction with my recording equipment. Um, but I am going to make another trek up to Pahrump again very soon, probably even tomorrow, uh, so I can continue to be updated on the ongoing situation. But here is uh, something that Kelly said that I thought you should hear. What was your impression of the sheriff? Do you feel that she is uh, supportive of what you're doing? Oh boy, uh, I think the sheriff was very nice. Uh, I have a lot of respect for her. I'm grateful that she came out to talk with us. Um, but at the end of the day, if I had to answer the question, is she doing her job, I would have to, f I'd be forced to say 
No, because the job of a sheriff is to protect the people within her county and to protect their life, liberty, and property. And we have a group of men, most of the men actually in this facility, have been denied pretrial release. And so unless uh, unless every single person in this facility is in here on a capital offense, meaning murder, um, there is... There's no excuse for these men not being denied, not being a, a granted bail, and the ones who are not being granted, for the most part, are political prisoners. There's a political agenda involved. Mm-hmm. So my overall impression of her is she was very nice. I hope to talk with her more. I appreciate her support. I enjoyed her coming out to um, to support us and talk with us. Uh, but at the end of the day. The voice of the sheriff has been silenced. The authority of the sheriff has been silenced, um, which means the voice of the people has been silenced. And if it was anything different, then she would be making sure that the people in her county, are their constitutional rights are being protected, especially those being held by private facilities. And she has failed to do that. Thank you, Kelly. You're absolutely right. And this is the crux of a major problem we all face. The sheriffs across all the counties in all the states are elected officials who are supposed to be filling public offices as public servants of the people. But the sheriff's departments, the police forces all all across the country, all the various police departments take their oaths to private corporations and the public offices that have been vacated as a result. These people are working for private corporations. They no longer serve the public. They all swear an oath to the private corporations and that is what they protect. The system. Do you understand the implications of this? All elected officials from the county, the state, and the federal level, whether legislators like congressmen and senators, uh, mayors, governors, etc., etc., all swear their oath to privately, mostly foreign-owned corporations for profit, which takes them off the land jurisdiction where the Constitution resides and changes their positions as public servants to private corporate employees of various levels and into the international jurisdiction of the sea, which is subject to admiralty, maritime, statutory rules, codes, and regulations, not laws. You used to see, for example, you used to see to serve and protect on police cars. But you don't see that statement displayed any longer because they're not able to do that. Serve and protect the people? No. They serve the corporatocracy masquerading around as government when they are anything but legitimate government. This renegade nation is very important to understand. In the eyes of the system, we are all criminals. Between the federal, state, and county levels, renegade nation, there are Trillions, with a T, trillions of rules, codes, and regulations. There is no possible way that any of us can know when we are breaking just one of them. You cannot go through a day and not violate some rule, code, or regulation. You have no idea what's on their books. And this is by design and for their profit, as many, many countless people have experienced. You can be jailed without due process, without warrant at their whim, often without any recourse or remedy that protects your unalienable rights as a human being. This system in place is all for profit, power and control. These private corporate prisons make major profits for themselves and for the state. 
And as Kelly said, that is why the state is turning a blind eye to the abuses within these private prisons. And that is also why a great number of detainees are not convicted, but forced to remain in prison. No due process. That denied the right to have bail. The only way all this is going to be brought to a halt is a growing public awareness of these facts and bringing pressure to bear. I'm going to give out some phone numbers here right now. Write these down. Uh, play this back again and write these phone numbers down. I, I beg of you, just do this. Follow this for me. Okay, and I want these phones to ring off the hook. Starting with the Nye County Sheriff, Sharon Worley. Sheriffs are the highest authority in the counties they serve. In their own county, they even have more authority than the governor of the state that the county resides in. That's why you need to call Sheriff Worley and remind her of her duties. Her number is area code 775-482-8110. You'll, you'll get a recording, but select option eight first, then option one. Leave a voicemail for Sharon, Sheriff Worley. Be respectful but demand actions to be taken to ensure that all detainees' constitutional rights as inmates must be observed and the torture stopped. These deplorable conditions and policies must cease immediately. Here also, here's uh, the governor of Nevada's office. That number is 775-684-5670. And here's the number for CCA itself. This is the Southern Nevada Detention Facility in Pahrump, Nevada, where the Bundy detainees are being held. That number is 775-751-4500. And if anyone listening out there, if you are close enough and you can take the time and whatever expense it might take to travel to Pahrump, Nevada, that would be wonderful. And join the supporters who have sacrificed their own time and money to take they're camping out. They want to camp at least two weeks, and they want to set up a situation, where, uh, it's kind of like a round robin, where somebody might camp for a week or two weeks. Other people come in, and they camp for a week or two weeks because, according to the uh, law, you can only camp for a level of two weeks on public land. So they're trying to get as many people to come in and camp for a little, at least a while as others come and go. So that's that's what they're trying to do, and if you can participate in that, that would be extraordinary. You don't even have to go and camp. But, I mean, if you're in or near the Southern Nevada region, take a day trip out there. These are good people. I talk to them. They're great. They are not hooligans or thugs. Like, as for example, many of the protests that we've been seeing at Berkeley, that we've all witnessed that shit. These are just concerned and dedicated supporters of freedom and the rule of law. Now, if you can't make it there, that's okay. But it is in the best interest of everyone listening to apply pressure in greater and greater numbers to demand action be taken to correct this abysmal situation that affects us all. Don't just do it just for the Bundys. This is not about the Bundys and the other detainees involved in this important case who are being held without being convicted of anything, but do it in the interests of us all, for yourself. You could easily be in their shoes because the state sees us as their property. We are enemies of the state. Do you cherish freedom? 
Are you fed up with the ever-increasing loss of our rights? Well, if you want freedom and all your unalienable rights, you have to fight for them back because they've taken them. Stand and present yourselves, if only by making phone calls. I even put a call into Eamon's court-appointed attorney. His name is Dan Hill. He's in Las Vegas. That number is 702-341-5300. Eamon's personal attorney does not live in Nevada and does not have the funds to come to Nevada on a consistent basis and stay over a course of the year to advocate full-time for his client. So he only has a court-appointed attorney. And that is Dan Hill. Once again, 702-341-5300. Tell him to get off his butt and get up to the prison and protect his client. Okay. Uh, Also, if you can afford, say, five bucks or more, you can go to help Eamon Bundy's defense. That Go to eamonbundydefense.com. A-M-M-O-N-B-U-N-D-Y defense.com. And donate what you can. Okay, Renegade Nation, I'm off my rant. Uh, I'm signing off for now. Thanks for listening, Renegade Nation. I hope this information inspires you into action of whatever kind that you can participate in. This is Everly Isby, connecting the dots, and this is Renegade Talk Radio. Bye. <laughs>